0: What comes to mind when you hear the road to Emmaus? For many, it sounds very religious. It sounds very spiritual. Maybe you've had a friend or family member who's done the walk to Emmaus with a local church here in Cincinnati. But for the reader of Luke, when they heard the road to Emmaus, they were thinking of a highway going to a city called Emmaus. This was the first worldwide interstate. When you think road to Emmaus, I want you to think interstate. For the Romans, it was more like inter-province or maybe even inter-country, 50,000 miles of highway connecting Great Britain to Northern Africa. The emperors designed this for quick troop movement all across the Roman Empire. So Jesus is walking alongside an interstate, meeting with two disciples we've never heard of before, to have a little Bible study with them. When you think interstate, don't think ten or twelve lanes, think four foot to ten foot, enough for two or four horses to move from place to place across the Roman Empire. Now, if you see the Roman road today, you can see it all over the world. Sometimes it can be seen a very deserted desert area next to archaeological ruins. Other times it's surrounded with overgrowth and trees and weeds. Sometimes you can even find it near the city of Jerusalem today. So Jesus, in his resurrected body, Hides who he is to appear to two disciples, one named Cleopas, and the other we don't even know their name. Now, why would he appear to disciples we've never heard of before? It's not Peter, it's not James, it's not John. Well, I think for several reasons. First of all, he appears to a disciple named Cleopas. He's probably a Gentile. In fact, think Cleopatra, the male name, Cleopas. His name literally meant glory to the Father. It's a reminder that this new message of resurrection was for Jews and Gentiles alike. The other disciple is unknown. Why? This new movement is for anyone. Any of us can be a disciple and follow and examine the evidence of his resurrection. So Jesus hides who he is in his resurrected body, stands next to the interstate with Cleopas, a name that means glory to the Father, but probably that was the declaration of his parents to the father Zeus. But now we have a declaration of glory to the Father, of the Father who raised his Son from the dead. And it's here that Jesus has a little Bible study with Cleopas and an unknown disciple. So Jesus turns to the disciples and says, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled that were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. See, the Jewish Bible, what we call the Old Testament, had its own Dewey Decimal System, kind of a library of organizing all the different scrolls in what we call the Old Testament, what they called the Bible. It was like Jesus was sitting down at the road to Emmaus with a Dewey Decimal System and saying, everything you've ever heard, the whole way our scrolls in Old Testament are organized, are all about me. He referenced the Law of Moses. This is what we call the Pentateuch. It includes the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Then he references the prophets. Now the prophets were divided into two sections. The former prophets, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings, and the latter prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the Twelve. Then he references the Psalms, otherwise known as the writings that began with the book of Psalms. Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Song of Songs, Ruth, Lamentations, Esther, Ecclesiastes, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Chronicles. This would be the equivalent of Jesus taking you to a public library, taking you into the Dewey Decimal System and saying, this system of organizing the library of library, the scroll of scrolls, every category has been about me. It's been about what I was going to do, how I was going to die, the promises God had for me, and how he would raise me from the dead. See, Jesus wanted everyone to look at the evidence of his resurrection and come to their own conclusion based on what God wrote, what he said, and the disciples witnessed. So pretty amazing if you imagine yourself walking with Jesus and Cleopas along that road to Emmaus. And as you're walking along that road, he has a Bible study to you and shows you how the entire Bible has been about him. He then says almost the exact same words to his disciples when he meets with them just a few verses later. He's now appearing to his disciples and again references all the major sections of the Bible being about him. Here's what he says. These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding, that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. Now you are my witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endured with power from on high. The Great Commission to His disciples after a Bible study about His resurrection. Now, our key verse today is this idea that all things need to be fulfilled, and that Jesus is referencing the Dewey Decimal System, and it's all about me, and then He opens their understanding about the Scriptures. So I hope you're going to see Jesus clearly today, not just from Luke, but His reference to the entire Bible. So we're going to look at three aspects today. We're going to look at the the words that Jesus said, the words that God wrote, and ultimately the word that the disciples witnessed. And look at what that means for you and I today. Look what it begins with. Let's revisit the words I spoke. Jesus, as he first appears to them, he says, hey, let's revisit what I said to you in the last three years. He opens this passage with, then he said to them, guys, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Which maybe you're thinking, yeah, but you know, sometimes Jesus can be really cryptic. I mean, it's like Revelation maybe kind of stuff, where it's like, you know, who's the bird here and who's the goat over there? I mean, maybe it was just so obscure they didn't get it. Well, let's just jump back a few chapters and see just how obscure the words were that he wrote. So we're going to maybe take a step back in time, just a couple chapters. What exactly did Jesus say was going to happen? Then he took the twelve aside. And said to them, Behold, we're going to Jerusalem, and all things that were written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, he will be mocked, he'll be insulted, he'll be spit upon, they're going to scourge him, then they're going to kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. Very, very obscure. Very, very hard to follow. Very, very ambiguous. Therefore, in verse 34, so they understood none of that, The saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things that were spoken. So look at that word hidden. Like, how could that have been hidden? Well, why are things hidden from you and I? There's a lot of reasons. Sometimes things are hidden because God plays hide and seek with us. Even with Cleopas, he he hid the fact that he was in his resurrected body. And God will sometimes in your life hide himself because he wants you to seek him out. He's actually wooing you into a deeper relationship. So that's one reason he hides. Sometimes, though, things are hidden because we're not open to what God is doing because God's not supposed to act that way. God's not supposed to make life difficult. So we read a passage like, in this world you will have tribulation. Next page. Let's find some good stuff in this book, right? So we block out through normalcy bias what we don't want to be true. I think for the disciples, the things were hidden from them because they didn't want to believe that the Messiah was supposed to conquer the Romans. Well, I don't know what this obscure stuff is about scourging and dying and raising. Who knows? All right, next sermon, Jesus. It was hidden from them. Other times things are hidden from us because we've so calloused our heart to the Spirit of God that though he's tapping us on the shoulder, you've got to deal with this. You're letting this this temptation turn into a sin that's getting out of control in your life. No, 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 God. No, I got it under control. It's not going to hurt anybody. So sometimes we block ourselves off. We sear our conscience and we're hidden from the truth because we've rejected the Spirit and we've pushed Him away from us and we can't hear the words Jesus says to us. I saw an interview with Ravi Zacharias, who's a big, famous uh, explainer of the Bible and apologist he's called... He was talking with this general there seated at dinner together, and this general was kind of known for being really antagonistic toward Christians. And he says, yeah, I don't even let Christian speakers come and talk to my cadets. We have a lot of speakers come in, but no Christians. And Ravi Zacharias, recognizing this was kind of a man's man and a warrior's warrior, kind of spoke to him that way. He's like, really? Well, why do you think your cadets are so stupid? You think your cadets are so stupid they can't discern between competing ideas that you need to protect them from different ideas? The general looked at him and said, You know what? I think I want to have you come speak to my students next week. <laughs> Sometimes we have unintentionally or even intentionally blocked off certain aspects of competing ideas that God may want to use to speak to you. And so when you come to the Bible, there is such a tendency in our own brokenness and our own fallenness and our own sinfulness not to hear what's very, very clear from the Scriptures. So we need to come to the Bible study and say, Yes, I've got tools. Yes, I've got commentaries. Yes, I've got good sermons. Holy Spirit. Only the spiritual man and woman can discern spiritual things. Holy Spirit, open my eyes to what you want to tell me today about what I need to be illuminated. That's the spiritual um, theological term for what the Holy Spirit does. He illuminates the text of the Bible, and then he convicts you of it. And that's going to require a connection. In fact, I remember when I was working on this sermon, uh, I worked you know, a couple of years in advance on stuff, and so I was actually on a cruise, and I was sitting on a cruise ship, just reading through the whole book of Luke several times. I got to this passage, and I had my iPad with me. And I was taking notes, and I was thinking about this passage, and took some notes for a little bit, and I set it down on a chair, and I was kind of walking around thinking a little bit. I came back to the, to the iPad, and as I often do, I wandered a little bit more, and I set it down you know, somewhere else, and I was thinking a little bit more. And, and my wife came up. She said, hey, I finished a massage or whatever. Hey, uh, let's uh, head to dinner. Um, oh, let me grab my iPad. Where have I been in the last half hour? Everywhere is where I've been. And I thought, I have lost my iPad on you know, 10 stories of a cruise ship somewhere. How in the world am I going to find this thing? And then I remembered I had a Bluetooth set that had already been paired to my iPad. So I stuck on the Bluetooth earphones and I'm walking around every deck. <laughs> nope. Down one floor. Nope. Nope. Down one floor. I walk around. As I'm walking through this one section, I hear, connected. I'm close! I'm close! And sure enough, I wandered over to the coffee shop. Oh, I forgot! I stopped at the coffee shop, and I was able to pick up and find my iPad. That's what the Holy Spirit is like. When you engage the Holy Spirit, you're saying, God, I need to be connected to you so that I can find the word, so that I can hear the word, the the numas word that you want to speak to me in the circumstance. Now, a classic example of this is this passage Jesus speaks to the disciples is almost word for word what he said to Cleopas. So imagine Cleopas is walking on the, the road to Emmaus with Jesus. Jesus is literally standing before him, the glory of the Father in his resurrected body, speaking to a man whose name means glory to the Father, and he doesn't see it because he's not yet connected to the Holy Spirit. So as you walk through life, if you want to be the kind of leader you want to be, the kind of husband you want to be, the kind of wife you want to be, the kind of friend you're going to be, you're going to need to be connected so that the Holy Spirit can help you discern spiritual things. The fruit of His Spirit can flow through your life. So first, we revisit the words He spoke. Second, God said, now let's, Jesus says, let's look back not just at what I said, but what God has said for centuries. Let's try and understand these things. The words that God wrote for you and I. And this is where he quotes this verse. That all things... Now let's stop there. Imagine the disciples' last seven days. All the emotions they've had in the last seven days. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna! Jesus is coming! The kingdom is here! Oh no! He's being tried... And scourged and crucified. Hopelessness and confusion and anger and fear scattering everywhere. And then the loneliness of our Messiah and friend is dead in the grave. And then rumors he's raised from the dead? This chaos and confusion that often comes into our life, it feels like God has left the building. God has left the building. All these things that felt like chaos, Jesus says, these were the things that needed to be fulfilled. Fulfilled. God is fulfilling His purpose in this chaos. God is a master at taking chaos and confusion and accomplishing His purpose. And when it felt like You were in the middle of chaos and confusion. You were actually part of what God has predicted for hundreds of years. You were on track to his plan. That all things would be fulfilled, which were written hundreds of years in advance in detail in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And look at that last phrase, concerning me. This is so shockingly arrogant, unless it's true. Imagine me showing up to a literature class in college and saying, I know many of you have enjoyed reading Shakespeare over the years. What you may not know is that Shakespeare was always writing about me. (laughs) What? Or I come to a Buddhist. Or I come to someone who's been reading the Quran their whole life and say, Muhammad, no, really, he was talking about me. This is so shockingly arrogant, unless it's true. If I walked you through the library in the Dewey Decimal System and said, science, about me, Social studies me 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 right what now we 've organized the Protestant Bible a little bit differently than the original scroll system of the Old Testament. So if you look, for example, at how we 've organized the Old New Testament, there are different sections, and so our scrolls are organized with the law, the history books, the poetry books, the major prophets, the minor prophets. And then the New Testament, we have the Gospels, which are the good news about Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you've never read through the Gospels, I remember a guy reading the Bible for the first time. He's like, I finished Matthew and I got to Mark. It's the same stuff over and over again. So it's helpful to understand these are four different scrolls about Jesus' life from different perspectives. Then there's the book of Acts, which is a history book. I mean, they're all history, but specifically the history of the church. Then we have Epistles to the Churches. Epistles to the friends and pastoral epistles, and then the general epistles, including Jude and Revelation. So, it's helpful when you're reading the Bible to understand there's different types of literature that are being organized here, but within the Old Testament, or the Torah, they had the system we referenced in the video, that there were three major sections, the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms, also known as the Writings. And Jesus is saying, all of these categories are about me. Now, just to show you how ridiculous that is, if it's not true, imagine I told you that in 1996, I lived in Atlanta. In 1996, the the Olympics came to Atlanta, and I got a chance to actually carry the Olympic torch as part of that journey through Atlanta. You would say, "Oh, that's quite a claim. So you'd say, let's look for some evidence. Number one, did the Olympics come to Atlanta in 96? You'd look it up, Yes. Did Chad live in Atlanta in 1996? He did. Can we talk to people who said Chad lived in Atlanta during those times? We can. Does Chad look like he has the physique to be a runner that would carry that torch? Without a doubt! This is not time to laugh here, people. This is evidentiary claims. Now, you might look into it and you would find out that, sure enough, I did not carry the Olympic torch, but I was there when it ran past me. But... For me to claim to be one of the carriers of the light wouldn't be that shocking. Lots of people carried that Olympic light every four years. Jesus isn't claiming to be a carrier of the light like Elisha, like Elijah, like Samuel, like Joshua, like Moses. No, 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 no. That is far too um, small a claim. Jesus is saying, I wasn't a carrier of the light. I was the flame everybody carried. Yeah, in Atlanta, 1996, you know all those people who carried the Olympic flame? The Olympic flame was, was me, Chad Hoven. <laughs> what? Yeah. I mean, you'd be like, uh-huh. Yeah, we need to get this guy some medicine. We need to get him to the doctor or something, right? Something is wrong here. That's how radical this claim is that Jesus says. It was all concerning me. And therefore, he opened their understanding. Now, notice the passive use of the verb here. You don't open your own understanding. The Holy Spirit, God, Jesus, opens your ability to hear truth from the Scripture. The illumination of the text, it's called. He opened their understanding that they might, because He did the work, comprehend what the Scriptures have really been all about. Then He said to them, Guys, thus it is written, it was necessary for the Christ to suffer And to rise again on the third day. And look at that word necessary. Why is it necessary that Jesus died? Because all of us as we look around today at each other, we look pretty good. We're dressed up kind of nice. We all look really good from a distance. We really look good sitting in our pews. But one of the things we know as a pastor who walks with people who look really good on the outside you dig down just a little bit beneath the veneer of our life and you find that we have unfaithfulness. We break covenants with people we say we love. We struggle with anger and impatience and pornography. And Jesus said it was a necessity for me to come and die because though we look pretty on the outside, we are dark and broken We don't live up to our own standards, let alone God's standards, and he had to come to die, to pay for all of that brokenness that we hide and cover up and pretend we don't have. It was, he had to do it. Or we could never have come into his presence because you can't fool God. Only perfect gets into the perfect place. So it was a necessity that he had to die, not for just people, but for you, your secrets. You, your brokenness. Me, my brokenness. It was a necessity. And then, he, it wasn't just that he died, it was a necessity that he rose from the grave so that his Holy Spirit could be placed in us and bring us to life. So that which was dead in us, we want to do the right thing, but we don't do the right thing. He could make it alive in us and it would be the fruit of his Spirit coming in and through us. That's why it had to happen. So when you come to the Bible, ask God to speak to you, to remind you of all the things that he's forgiven you for and wants to forgive you for. And don't pretend that you're not that bad of a person. No, cheer up. You're worse than you think. (laughs) Far worse than you think. And yet God has forgiven you. And God can allow you in that grace to deal with and see yourself for who you are. I was reading a story this week, or a couple weeks ago actually, about uh, Bill Hayden. Bill was uh, on board to be the next Prime Minister of uh, Australia years ago, but he grew up as a very um, stark atheist. His father was very, very abusive, and that certainly shaped his life, and his dad hated Christianity, mocked it, stories of Noah's Ark and all that stuff was nonsense to him. Now his mother was a Catholic, so even when he got married, Bill and his wife thought they should at least expose their kids uh, to religion. His five-year-old was going to Sunday school one day. When she came out, she went to run across the street, and she got hit by a bus. And he lost his five-year-old. And his atheism just continued to be cemented. He found no solace in prayer. People told him he wasn't allowed to ask why. And he devoted his life to career and became an incredibly influential politician in the uh, Australian government. But later in his life, after about 40 years, he was turning to his wife and just said, I want to make changes, but I can't. And he met this nun who was passionate about health care. And as he began to work with this nun, he noticed that her faith was genuine and real and, and, and something in her life, some peace she had, he didn't have. So she helped him pass the equivalent of Social Security and Medicaid in the country of Australia, which he became known for. But really, he began to recognize something in her that he didn't have. And in this interview, he said that it was very, very hard at age 85 to turn from his atheism to put his belief in Jesus. But he said, I'm going to spend the rest of my life devoting myself to Jesus. He said, I'm a failed, frail human being. But from this point on in my life, there's only going to be one star in my life. And it's no longer going to be me. It's going to be Jesus. And there's an example about how someone whose eyes were closed for 85 years, God used another Christian human being living out genuine faith to the Holy Spirit use that to open his eyes that all of the accolades, all of the wealth, all the reputation, all of the power wasn't connecting him to the significance and the purpose and the truth that he wanted and needed. I was talking to a friend here at Horizon recently who made some major adjustments to their business model several months ago because they said, I realized I wasn't getting the spiritual input. When I'm at church, I love digging into the Bible. I love the stuff I've been learning here. I'm feeling connected to God in a way I never have before, but I had to totally revolutionize my business model because I had no margin for spiritual development just talked to him a couple days ago and he just described how those new patterns in his life have begun to shape his ability to connect with God and feel the Holy Spirit begin to direct him and fill him to become a better man, a better husband, a better father because he's taking the time to revisit those words that God has spoken. Sometimes going back 10 years into our archive to listen through messages that we've done over the last 15 years. So we need to understand the words God spoke. But the third thing we need to do is we need to proclaim the word, the word Jesus that these disciples witnessed. See, the disciples witnessed something that happened. And look what happens because here Jesus gives the purpose to life, the purpose to the church, to why he came. It's all here in this verse. I was all about what I told you. I was all about what God told you. But now I want you to be a witness to this. And here's what he says. And that, and here's the purpose of it, that repentance... And remission of sins should be preached. Everything was about this. And this is the purpose of your life. You ever want a little R&R? This is God's R&R. Repentance and remission. He wants those two things proclaimed every day through the way we live. So we better understand what these two R&Rs mean. Start with the word repentance. The word repentance literally means to turn from and to turn to. It's two parts. We have to turn from two things. We have to turn from our bad works and we have to turn from our good works if we're gonna find Jesus as our Savior. I'll start with bad works. Bad works are God, I tried to live my life in my own wisdom. I tried to overcome these bad habits in my own power, and it was so, so failing, Father. It wasn't a lack of willpower. It was dead spots. I need power source of your Holy Spirit to overcome my anger or my impatience or my critical spirit or my pornography addiction, Father. It's not a lack of willpower. I'm dead. I turn from my dead works. And I say, I turn to you. You need to forgive me. You need to empower me. You need to... Take away the shame. You are the source. I turn from and I turn to. Others of us need to turn from our good works. We've built our whole identity on our reputation. We've built our whole identity on being a good husband or being a good father. All good things, but these are idols. These are your saviors. I feel good about myself because of what I've accomplished. I feel good about myself because look at all the good things I've done. But until you realize your good works are woefully inadequate to give you entrance before God, they're woefully inadequate to build an identity on, your soul is just too deep. And until you turn from these idols of good works, turn from them, and turn to your identity in Jesus as the core motivator for everything you do, You're going to be caught bouncing between idols your whole life. And this isn't just a one-time prayer. You pray 30 years ago and say, I became a Christian. It's a reoccurring journey that your family, that your friends, that your neighbors, that your colleagues see that you are a living example of repentance, constantly saying, you know what? I'm learning that I built my whole identity on blah, and I'm learning how to really place my identity in Jesus. I I really got off track because I was pursuing things in my own wisdom. I've turned from that this week and I've realized I need to be more open or I need to be whatever it is. The purpose of your life as a Christian is that you should regularly be modeling repentance, turning from and turning to. Now, how are you going to do that? Well, the next R is remission. This is such a powerful idea. When you realize that when you become a Christian... You don't just be forgiven for that one thing you ask forgiveness for. Remission of sins means the passing over of all of the heavenly consequences of what you've done. When you become a follower of Jesus, he forgives you of everything you've done. Past, present, and future. And this remission of sins, it's used, uh, the word repents is used a thousand fifty times in the Bible. And the remission of sins is to be exempt from the consequences It's as if you've never committed the crime. And that's why when you understand the grace of God that I have been passed over because of what Jesus did, now when something comes into my life, my wife brings something up, my son brings something up, my boss brings something up, instead of having to defend myself, I would never have done that, it's just a misunderstanding. No, 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 I'm not capable of that. That's you building your identity on excuses and rationalization to protect yourself. Instead, you turn from that and say, you know what, I'm open. There might be something here that Jesus had to die on the cross for. There's a darn good chance. And I'm open to turning from needing to defend myself because I know whatever I discover here is something he's already passed over so I can be more open, more teachable, more humble. So when you practice God's R&R, because of his remission, you can repent daily. So if I talk to those around you, would they say that you're humble and open, that you can look at and accept your own junk, that you take ownership quickly, or are you known for rationalization and excusing and avoiding and stonewalling? If so, you need to better know about the remission of sins and your identity, not in what you have or haven't done, but in what Jesus has done. And this message Jesus says of god 's r and r should be preached, should be proclaimed or heralded as another word in the Greek to all nations, start right where you 're living in Jerusalem, right in your hometown, right in your family, let people see how you 're living this out, and you, not the church, not the pastor, not the priest, you individually are to be a witness of these things. what things? your own repentance, the remission of God. Your job, where you live, is to make that known and make it known to all. Which is why you and I are called to be living proof of God's are and are. Many people aren't going to come to a church they're turned off by it for good reasons. Many people, the closest thing they're going to do to ever read the Bible is reading your life. And you and I are going to be living proof of whether or not this stuff works. Whether or not it's true. Whether or not it's authentic. And so the key takeaway today, the key takeaway of the whole Bible, Jesus says, the whole point of the church was that you and I individually would be a living proof of God's repentance and remission to everyone who's around us. Man, they make mistakes. They own it. They apologize for it. And they don't sort of sit under this big blanket of guilt all the time that they can't get out of. They can simultaneously own their, their, their wrongdoing with a credible seriousness, but without condemnation. How do you do that? How do you create that? Well, the way you do it is in this promise. In fact, this is the only time in the Gospels that God makes this promise. He mentions repentance and remission. He mentions you are my witnesses. And then he says, look, behold, here's how you're going to do it. You got to claim to the promise. Only time in the Gospels. References this promise. The promise from the Father, of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon you, makes you alive, that which was dead. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem, Acts, is the Acts 1-8, until you are endured with power from on high. You need power from on high to overcome and to be that living proof, to be that witness. Will you and will I live that out? What does it look like for us to proclaim God's grace. As a church, it's our mission. As individual Christians, it's our mission. As individual parents and leaders, it's your purpose and significance in life is to proclaim remission and repentance. I was talking to a friend this week. He called me up. He used to attend Horizon about 10 years ago. He said, Chad, great to hear from you. Sorry, it's been a couple months since I talked. I said, oh, no problem. He said, I got to tell you, Horizon has ruined me for church. So, well, tell me about that. He said, you know, I've attended as you know, for five or six years, and I've been looking for a good church now for eight years. I cannot find any place that teaches the Bible well. I'm like, well, that's a low standard. <laughs> I can't find any place that teaches the Bible deeply, and I can apply it in my life, and I don't fall asleep. I'm like, again, three very low standards. But he said, I finally found one that's kind of there. And I've got to tell you, the kind of growth the kind of understanding of the Bible, the kind of passion I found in Jesus during my time at Horizon, I've just been searching and searching after that. And what was he saying? He said there was something unique about this place that proclaimed the remission of sins, the repentance of God, and the idea, because you know how much I love the Old Testament. Luke's almost over. We're getting back to 1 Samuel. I've been studying it. i got like all the sermons ready between now and August. I can't wait to tell you about 1 Samuel. Because 1 Samuel's about Jesus. And Leviticus was about Jesus. And Exodus is about Jesus. We want you to know the whole story of God is about Jesus and that we are proclaiming and heralding his grace. He said, Chad, are you guys ever going to get this live stream going? <laughs> I said, Phil, I said not only is it, is, it, is it going, but it's so close. In fact, this week, guys, if, if, it's amazing this building is actually usable. Because the amount of stuff that happened this week. In fact, if you look around this room, at least 10 things have changed from last week till today. So if you want to look around for a second, I'll just tell you a few things that have happened. Because part of what we want to do is we want to proclaim this message of grace to a wider audience. For you when you're on vacation or traveling, so you can pass it on to somebody. But just here's a few things. If you notice, I am really well lit this morning. And you probably thought to yourself, wow, Chad's squinting a lot. Or you thought, Chad is so spiritual. I can see the Shekinah glory of God coming off him. He must really be praying. So we probably doubled the amount of lights in preparation for live stream. If you look behind me, you're going to see that uh, we've put in a brand new... if If everyone used to sit in that little love seat pew, right there, the love seat is gone. You'll see there's live cameras. We have three volunteers and some staff working with cameras. We have a live camera now here behind me by the sound booth. We've actually added a whole block there. If you look in this corner, we've got another volunteer who's working over in a new booth and a camera sitting in this area, man camera, another one in this corner. So we have three live cameras, three robotic cameras. We're up to six to nine, a couple stationary ones, as we're preparing for live stream. Our app is going to go live next week. As I showed you a few weeks ago, you can go back through 10 to 15 years of messages. Go through and you'll see them all categorized by Book of the Bible as a spiritual growth tool. Spiritual growth commentaries are going to be on there. All of our messages can be on there. And when we go live stream within the next maybe 30 to 45 days, um, we're practicing with the new cameras right now. We're getting our teams in place. And the main thing we're doing too is our lawyers are working at all the licensing. So, you know, between our exploring service and our equipping service, all that in order to be live streamed, we've got to make sure we've got all our ducks in a row to do it all legally. So all that's in place. So next week we'll announce the, the app. You'll be able to download that to start that piece, and then we'll turn on the live stream as we get all those other pieces in place. So very, very exciting time at Horizon. Very, very exciting time. Thank you for your serving and giving. If you want to be part of this next session, you want to you know, learn how to operate a camera, you want to help in our children's ministry as we continue to grow, it's a great opportunity to give of yourself your time your money and for those who have given thank you so much we would not be able to put these things in place I mentioned we were 10 there's a whole bunch more lights back behind me you can see the new um, decoration on the, on, the, on the screen we've changed the screen out to 16 by 9 and these shower curtains are going to be gone soon we're getting the finalized version of those coming in the next couple weeks so again thank you guys for all of your work can we just thank God for what he's doing here at Horizon what an incredible job our teams have done just amazing very very, very humbling. And why are we doing all this? We're doing it because of what Jesus said. Our job as individuals and our job as a church is to herald and to proclaim for all to hear his repentance and his remission. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your journey. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you so much for the tools you're putting in our hands so that we can take your message to a wider audience. And so each one of us can dig deeper into your scriptures and fall more deeply in love with you. And We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. See you all next week.